Halloween message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The scripture text for today's sermon is Luke 7, verses 36. We're going to read all the way to Luke 8, verse 3. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus Answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is the word of the Lord. My aim this morning is that we would love Jesus much. Just coming right out of the passage. My aim is that we would love Jesus much. That we would 
see him anew by faith as our Savior and forgiver of our sins. We have a fresh awareness of our own sinfulness and a new grace of repentance and, and even tears for our sins. And, and uh, we just have a new, <laughs> I think of the word bath, a new bath in the forgiving grace that's ours in Christ. And therefore, and thereby, like the woman, we would love Jesus much. So Father in heaven, we absolutely need your help for this. Some of us need to be born of your spirit to see Jesus and turn from our sin and receive your forgiveness. Some of us have been born again. Some of us have believed and yet the desires and comforts of this world and the sins that so easily entangle have encroached upon our love for you. And so I pray for fresh grace of a restored love for you. For those in that category or those of us who are in various measures of that category. And some here, perhaps already in this service, seems to happen about every week, have had tears already, like this woman. Tears of grief and regret for sin and tears of love for Jesus. I pray you bring us all there, that we would, like this woman, love you much. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look directly into the text here, I just want to clarify that this account, though it's similar to another account that's mentioned in the three other Gospels, it's different. I just want you to know there's two different accounts. This one in Luke 7, and then another one that sounds kind of like it in Matthew 6 and in Mark 14 and in John 12. And I just don't want them to be confused. The, the one, our, our text, happens when Jesus is in Galilee, Galilee and Judea, and he's, he's going about traveling with his teaching ministry. And uh, he's not approaching Jerusalem yet, because when he does, he will be crucified. And the other episodes that I mentioned in the three other Gospels are they take place six days, or it takes place six days before Jesus is crucified. So it's really clear. It's a different time frame. Um, let me tell you the similarities. In, in both accounts, this one in Luke 7 and the, the other account in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, the host of the dinner, there's a dinner in both, the host of the dinner his, his name is Simon, okay? And in both stories, a woman anoints Jesus, okay? In, in both, there's a, a meal at table. So sometimes people think that this is the same account. It's different. I'll tell you the differences. Um, not only the difference in time in the life and in, in ministry of Jesus, I mentioned already, but the host in Luke 7 is Simon the Pharisee. And the host in those other accounts is Simon the leper. Those are two very different people. Simon, very common name. 
Simon the leper. The, the place of this, of this um, account in Luke 7, as I mentioned, is around Galilee. And the, the place of the other anointing is Bethany, right near Jerusalem, as Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem to be crucified. And the woman in our account is unnamed. And she anoints Jesus' feet with ointment. And the woman in the other accounts is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she anoints Jesus' head with oil. The significance in our text is really this beautiful celebration of this woman who loves Jesus because she's been forgiven. And the significance of the other account, when Mary anointed Jesus with oil on his head six days before he was crucified, was that it was a pointer to Jesus' death. It was like anointing or embalming someone. That's how it's viewed. That's the significance of it. So these are very different accounts. And I uh, just want to make that clear. Now I want to dive into our account. We're just going to walk through it. And it is uh, marked by gospel clarity. Several points. Just the gospel is clear. Um, so a certain Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to dine with him. Perhaps after Jesus taught in the synagogue one Sabbath or Maybe after Jesus is teaching somewhere out among the public, Jesus accepted the dinner invitation and the text says he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, according to custom, those dining were most likely seated at a low table and were reclining, seated on a a cushion or a chase. And the way you would eat is... You'd lean on one elbow, your left, and you'd eat with your right hand. And then your feet would stick out uh, away from the table. You know, in that culture, feet are dirty. They, they, feet are icky. It's just like left hands are not to touch your food. Um, so the feet extend backward. And um, at the table, you know, we don't know who's there other than Simon, the Pharisee, and Jesus— But I I tell you, I'm pretty sure I know who's not there from the account of Pharisee dinners elsewhere in the Bible, such as in Luke 5. (laughs) I mean, I'm almost positive, as certain as I can be, that there are no tax collectors at Simon's table and there are no sinners. (laughs) I like the laughter there. That's good. Like... (laughs) And I interpret Simon's inhospitality to Jesus as a sign. You know, Jesus will confront him later in the passage. I I take it as a sign that Simon's not inviting Jesus over as an honest, you know, seeker to get to know Jesus and find out what he's teaching. Uh, It's more like, you know, the guy who comes to church and says, yeah, I know this is all a bunch of hooey. uh, So I I think he's, he's, he's testing Jesus and he's looking for Jesus to say or do things that can be held against him. 
He's joining in with the Pharisees' crusade to watch and catch Jesus in order to, to uh, accuse him and destroy not only his ministry, but his life. Now, this is interesting. Um, custom in that day, you have a nice, sizable banquet, and your house isn't big enough to hold it. So behind your house, there's this great patio. You know, you can imagine the weather in Jerusalem. It's like San Diego all the time. And uh, you have this big courtyard in the back. And uh, I shouldn't say big. However the size of the courtyard is, big enough for the table, big enough for the dinner. And presumably, this dinner is taking place outside like that, which explains why this woman can just walk right up and stand behind Jesus. And here's the deal. It was totally acceptable for, for neighbors and the curious and anyone interested in the table conversation or nosy enough to wonder about who's coming over to your house for dinner to just come in around the courtyard and listen in. And uh, so that's what's going on here. Even if they hadn't received an invitation, just come, you know, just think about it. Well, you know, there's, there's no Netflix. There's, you know, I'm not going to be reading tonight on my Kindle. Hey, you know, I hear Jesus is going over to Simon's house. Let's go listen in and see what he's talking about. I mean, that could be really weird, couldn't it? I mean, you do this in restaurants. I know you do. You listen to what's going on. Anyway, one such uninvited guest was this certain, quote, woman of the city who was a sinner. Verse 37. I mean, the description unmistakably indicates that she has an established reputation as a sinner in the city. And the text doesn't indicate explicitly what her sin was and what the reputation was, but it does suggest that she may well have been a prostitute. And that inference is supported by Simon the Pharisee's reaction when this woman touches Jesus and kisses his feet. This woman came, <laughs> you think about this, it's kind of a beautiful thing. She came not for the dinner, certainly not for socializing because Everybody looks on her with shame. She came not for the leftover scraps, so that was common that these people on the outside would, if there was leftover food, they could, they could uh, take advantage of some of the leftovers. Yeah, she came for one reason. It says she heard that Jesus was going to be at Simon's house. So she came for Jesus. She came for Jesus. And she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, that's verse 37. An, an alabaster flask. That's an expensive item. I mean, elsewhere in one of the other gospels, it says one of those costs 300 denarii. That's 300 days work. Almost a year's wage. But I mean, 
It's an expensive thing, this flask. It's, it's white or translucent, uh, marble-like stone. And that expensive little container is very likely holding expensive ointment, probably perfume. And she's probably wearing it around her neck. It's considered a valuable possession. Now, here's the thing. Uh, a wife might use that expensive perfume to kind of beautify herself, to please her husband. And uh, a woman of the street would use that perfume in her trade. And what I think is beautiful is this, this repentance all over this. She, she's done with the trade. She's going to use this ointment on Jesus' feet. It's a tool for worship now. Redeemed. So the banquet begins, and uh, Jesus is comfortably reclining at the table, beginning to eat his meal, presumably, and, and this woman approaches him from behind and stands over his feet. I, I, probably just because that's, you know, the feet are sticking out. So she's standing behind him at Jesus' feet and she's overwhelmed with emotion. And she begins to weep and, and she's not just crying. She, she is weeping intensely such that her tears are abundantly flowing on Jesus' feet, drenching them with her tears. And as the tears fall on Jesus' feet, you know, as the water from her tears touches Jesus' feet, it's clear that, oh, his feet are dirty. His feet are unwashed. And seeing his unwashed feet in love and in total self-forgetfulness, she gently unties her hair. That is no small thing. In that culture, for a woman to let down her hair in public is viewed as promiscuous. And it was grounds for a husband to divorce a woman who let her hair down in public. She, she's not even thinking about that. She's, Jesus' feet are dirty. Her tears have wet his feet. She lets down her hair and begins to use her hair as, as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet off. As her tears continue. Now Simon, the host, the Pharisee, he sees all this <laughs> display. This is disgusting. This is repulsive. It's appalling. The, he sees this as proof that Jesus is a phony. He is a fake. Because if Jesus were real, if Jesus was really a prophet, if Jesus was really of God, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. For she is a sinner. 
get his thinking? What Simon doesn't know yet is that not only does Jesus know who and what sort of woman this is, Jesus also knows who and what sort of man Simon is. I don't know if you notice in verse 39, it says that Simon has this thought. He's thinking to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was. So far in this passage, no words have been spoken at all. (laughs) Zero. So I just love it that, that in verse 40, the text says, well, Jesus answered Simon's unspoken thought. Get it? (laughs) If he were a prophet, he would have known. Jesus knows exactly what Simon's thinking, and he answers Simon's unspoken question. Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon says, say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50 Denarii is about a day's wage. So 500 denarii is about 15 months' pay. And 50 denarii is about a month and a half's pay. And what's clear is neither was able to repay the debt. And just a sidebar, that's super important because if Simon's sitting there thinking, she's the 500 who owes a lot, and I'm the 50? You get it? Neither can pay the debt. All who sin and fall short of the glory of God in need of forgiveness. In, in fact, I started thinking about numbers. I want to take back something that I said in the last service because I said, well, you know, Simon's probably a, a 500 plus, or 500 as well. And then I started thinking, well, when you fall short of the glory of God, you just can't put a number on it, you know? It's just like, it's more than 500. Like, all of us. End of sidebar. So neither able to pay. Verse 42, I said there's just pointers to the gospel. Here's one of them. When they could not pay, the lender canceled the debt of both. The word canceled is not simply the word canceled. I'll read it, but more literally. When they could not pay, he graced the debt of both. Isn't that cool? When they could not pay, he graced the debt of both. You know how this works when when there's a debt, the forgiver of the debt absorbs the loss. Much like our forgiveness, when God forgives us our sins, when Jesus forgives us our sins, he does so because he has absorbed the loss himself with his death by his grace. 
When they could not pay, he graced the debt of both. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? Simon, seemingly reluctantly, you feel, I smell a little foot dragon in this. The one I suppose, <laughs> like this isn't a hard question. The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly. Not a trick question. Now at that moment, there's this pivot in the conversation. You know, Jesus has been talking with Simon and now Jesus turns his attention to the woman at his feet and he keeps talking to Simon. You see that? And he confronts Simon with three instances in which Simon has denied him, Jesus, the most fundamental cultural expressions of welcome, hospitality, and love. Jesus says to Simon, again now looking at the woman, he says, Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss from, from the time I came. And you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. And Jesus draws this profound conclusion. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. A perfect passive verb. I'm going to get back to that. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. A perfect passive verb again. So you push back from that and you go, Okay, what's going on here? What came first? The forgiveness of Jesus or her love for Jesus. And if you answer this wrong, you miss the gospel. You destroy the gospel. The love of the woman did not come first, but second. Jesus is not saying, because you have wept so much, because you have loved me with your tears and with the wiping and the cleansing and the ointment, therefore, your sins are forgiven. Because you've served me so well, therefore, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, because you love me so much, your sins are forgiven. It's not what he's saying at all. But rather, the forgiveness of Jesus comes first, and her love is the fruit or the response or the evidence of that forgiveness that she's received. I'll give you some of the reasons in the text that it's clear. Remember I mentioned the, the tense of the, of the verb are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. 
Perfect tense. What's the point? Um, the point is that this forgiveness was given to her in the past, and it has continuing and lasting effects into the future. Your sins have been and are forgiven. Done. Complete. Once for all. That's a beautiful thing. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are perfect tense forgiven. Second thing, I mentioned the voice of the verb. Uh, a verb can be passive, it can be middle, it can be active. This one is passive. Her sins are forgiven. What does that mean, passive? It means that this perfect forgiveness was not due to her own action. It's due to the action of another. Active, Bill threw the ball at John. Passive, the ball was thrown to John. <laughs> Forgiveness was granted her. She didn't do it. It's coming from another. It's coming from the grace of the debtor. Coming from the grace of God. Coming from the grace of Jesus. So it's a perfect tense. It's a passive voice. And then the parable makes it crystal clear, doesn't it? You think of the parable. Uh, in the parable, what comes first? The moneylender forgave the debt. Therefore, those who've been forgiven much love much. Just got to get that order straight. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I, I started thinking, so who, who's, this, who's this teaching for? You know, is it, is, it, is it for the woman's benefit? Is it for Simon's benefit? Is it for the others, the wider group, the people at the table and around? The, is it for our benefit? <laughs> I kind of left it with, yeah, yeah it's kind of all that. Think about the woman. I mean, it, it's clear. She comes up to Jesus' feet as a forgiven woman. That's why she's crying. That's why she loves him. So conversion's already happened. She's already been born again. She's already received God's forgiveness in Christ. And um, she, doesn't need, she doesn't need a reminder that she's been forgiven. I don't think. She knows it. That's why she's crying. That's why she loves Jesus. But, but we do need reminders that we are forgiven, don't we? I mean, I love it in our services. Every week we do this. Paying attention. Every service, we reflect on the fact that we're sinners. And uh, Lord, forgive us. We've sinned against you. And every week we celebrate the, the reminder, the restatement of the truth of the gospel. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sins are forgiven. And we just remind one another every Sunday. So I think it worked like that for her. Just super encouraging to be reminded. Your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation now for us in Christ. But then I, I thought of this as well. And this has an impact on her as well as on Simon and the whole town. I mean, Simon's bent, Simon the Pharisee's bent was to hold her in contempt. I mean, Simon, this works for Simon because then he can be more righteous than her. Right? So he kind of feels good about himself. He's not as bad as her. He views her as disgusting and she's unwelcome, she's dirty, she ain't coming to my table. Simon would weigh her down forever with the shame of her past sins and perhaps even when she would sin again in the future. He just won't keep her under sinful woman. Shame. Simon, think about it. Simon even used her expressions of love for Jesus because he had forgiven her against her. See how disgusting she is? She's undoing her hair. She's touching Jesus with her tears. She's, so he's, he's shaming her for that. I mean, that's, that's what Satan does. I mean, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren because he does that kind of thing. He says to forgiven believers... Did, did Jesus really say your sins are forgiven? No. You're, you're really dirty. You're, not, you're, you're too wicked to be. And that's what Satan does. Simon's doing this to this woman. And so I, I just, I just, I don't know, I smile when in that context with Simon leading the shame on this woman in this town that shames this woman. Jesus says loud and clear to all who are gathered, your sins are forgiven. You hear that, everybody? Clean, forgiven, restored, reconciled, paid for. Justified. And then it's clear. Jesus intends this account as a demonstration and proclamation of the gospel. Jesus is showing Simon and all who have ears to hear that he forgives even this sinful woman. (laughs) And, you know, I'm thinking, people are thinking, well, Jesus can forgive her. He can forgive anybody. And Jesus said this so that Simon and all those at the table and around the table would see Jesus as their only hope of reconciliation and forgiveness with God. And the people around got it. I mean, look at verse 39. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Like, it's because only God can forgive sin. Like, this is what is... So they see it. And even there, you know, I'm, I'm not usually on a Greek grammar kick, but here is, here is a perfect passive again. 
See, perfect passives are glorious. <laughs> I hope you understand. I mean, when Jesus says, where is it? I lost it. Your faith has saved you. Perfect passive. Your faith has saved you. Once done in, in the past for all time, you're saved. Fact, given, grace. How did this happen? Because of my love, because of my tears? Jesus says it here. He makes it clear. No, it's because of your faith. It's because of your faith. I mean, honestly, before I studied this for this sermon, I didn't know that the gospel was so loud and clear and screaming in this passage. It is. It's clear. And your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's like go into shalom. Go, go into the peace of God. Go into all the goodness of God that he has in store for you because now you're at peace with me now and forever. And the account's almost through. And I think, so this woman now, where does she go? She she lives in this town. She's got this reputation chasing her around. Jesus is clarifying that for those who hear him. I know where she went. That's why we read uh, chapter 8, verse 1. She went with Jesus. She picked up and went with Jesus. That's what I believe. I think that's why it says here in 8.1, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And The 12, that's the apostles, the 12 were with him. Here it is. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. I think 8, 1, chapter 8, verse 1, comes after the end of 7. That's where she went. She dropped everything followed Jesus no more old life no more using perfume that way no more using her touch that way she just dropped it all and followed Jesus as a forgiven woman restored reconciled to God who loved Jesus much it's a beautiful account Let me close with a couple thoughts. May God grant us grace grace to see Jesus as he really is. Our Savior, in whom is the forgiveness of all our sins to be received by faith and not by our loving Jesus enough, not by our working for Jesus, serving him, but simply as a gift of his grace. And in seeing Jesus, may we see our own, our own sin and sinfulness. You know, I mean, I don't know who said this, but you know the saying that, that 
introspection on our own sin. You, you pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. You start doing that, and you discover that the sinfulness of your heart is like an onion. You know, like there's just layers of sinfulness that you didn't even know of, and, and it gets exposed often in relationships or in the fight against idols. And we're, we're sinful people. And uh, I pray that we would see our sinfulness in order that we would see the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus' power and grace and death to forgive us our sins. There's a connection here in this passage. Awareness of the greatness of your sin. A look at Jesus covering those sins feeds much love for Jesus. You think lightly of your sin like everybody else in this, in this culture at least, does. I mean, we're hardwired not to think of our sins. Well, I'm, not, I'm not a sinful. I mean, everything in the culture won't, doesn't want you to think of yourself as sinful. Just affirms good night. Affirms and celebrates sinfulness every which way. But no, a biblical view of self, a view of the debt that we owe God, his glory, love, with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We're, we're sinful, much less loving other people. We're sinful people. Seeing that and going to Jesus as our forgiver, receiving his forgiveness anew, <sighs> feeds much love for Jesus. That's the dynamic here. Lastly, I hope and pray and want to celebrate every moment that we as a people, as a church, Bethlehem, live out a, a church life together that has a gospel culture, a gospel ethos about it, that the gospel's tangible in how we relate to one another. Uh, for instance, we, we do not weigh one another down with the shame of our past sins. But rather, don't we? Wouldn't we, wouldn't Jesus remind one another that our sins are perfect, passive, forgiven? Once and for all, May we be a people who love Jesus much because we've been forgiven much. And I think of this woman heading out to follow Jesus, once called a sinful woman, now called forgiven, now called belonging to Jesus. You know what forgiven sinners are called throughout the New Testament? Paul does it, I don't know how many times. They're called saints. They're called saints. Jesus, I mean, Paul does it, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 times. A lot. I didn't count. But she goes out, not as sinful woman, but forgiven and dearly loved by God through Jesus Christ. That's why she loves him so much. Let's pray together. Lord, make us so. Make us so. Really, the text is all about the miracle of the creation of a worshiper of Jesus. 
because of your grace to us in the gospel of Christ. So do the work in us. If you've begun the work, do it all the more. If you've not begun the work, I pray you do it today. Draw us all to Christ. May we all bask in the, in the forgiveness of your grace that's ours by the death of Christ. And may we repent accordingly and follow Jesus like this woman and live in your peace now and forever. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.